Yeah, so Megan unpacked kind of the, the, where we've been, the season that we've been in, um, looking at missions. The Lord really stirring our hearts towards that, towards being a, a church that is on mission. Um, and I want us to go to Luke 10. We're going to just kind of unpack that because that's, I feel like the Lord says, hey, this is what it's about. And then Jackie's going to come up and share a little bit about the practicals of this. And by God's grace, we'll have a chance to do some, some hands-on stuff at the end of this. Um, but let me, let me go to, to, to Luke chapter 10 and just simply read through this and give you some observations about this, uh, sort of delay a framework for, for what we're doing for the next three Wednesdays. Um, and Luke 10 is one of those verses that, one of those stories that are so often easily overlooked. I know in my own study of the word, it wasn't... You know, for the longest time, I didn't even get the significance of of of, of what this what this means. Um, but the Lord is really He's bringing back in. This was one of the the parts of God's Word that was the the birth of King's Church. It was in studying Luke ten and a couple other passages uh, that the Lord says, "This is your mandate as well." Um, so Luke ten. The, the, the title of it, so to speak, is Jesus Sends Out the 72. Um, and I've got this, hopefully, I, I don't know if I put it in there or not, Jess, but you can pull it up. It's, I'm going to read in the NIV, but let me pray for us first and then we're going to go. So, Father, we thank you for your word. We love your word. Your word is truth. Your word is power. Your word is revelation to us. So, Lord, we want to be hearers of your word and doers of your word also for your glory. So, Lord, just show us uh, your heart and give us marching orders in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. You guys all right? Do you need that five-minute break like Meg talked about? Good, because we don't have time for it. We've got a lot to do. All right. Luke 10. This is how it begins. After this, verse 1, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others. Y'all say appointed. Y'all say 72. How many disciples, how many uh, disciples were there? Uh, wrong. I'm just kidding. We think of 12 because there were 12 that he initially called to himself. There were many hundreds of disciples in terms of a person who follows. How many apostles were there? You guys are afraid to answer, right? <laughs> there were the main 12 that we think of. Jesus had 12 that were part of his inner core, but the Bible makes it clear that there were others that were called and commissioned to do the same thing that those 12 did. And that's, that's a big deal. One second. That's a really big deal. We've got to get out of this mindset that the 12 were these spiritual superheroes that somehow had this unique power that no one else had, and God gave them a special thing to do that he didn't want anyone else to do. That's a big, big myth in the Christian faith. That's simply not the case whatsoever. Did those 12 have a unique role to play? Of course they did. You know, they, they were part of his inner core. They traveled with him. They had a, this degree of authority in the church. The church looked up to them as leaders in the church. They were, Jesus called 12 because there were 12 tribes in ancient Israel and each sort of like these, it's almost like they represented the new Israel, one from each tribe. But the, the, everything that God wanted the 12 to do 
the same power and authority in the kingdom, God is going to move that on past the 12. And we see that right here. It says that he appointed 72. Appointed means that he gives them a mandate. It gives them a commission. He didn't just say, hey, whoever wants to do this, y'all go, y'all go into the towns. Jesus was intentional about finding 72 and saying, you are appointed for this task. You're appointed for this task. You're appointed for this task. So I think that's the first thing that I want us to notice is that that more than the 12 have been appointed for great commission kind of work and supernatural work. Okay, so um, there's not just 12, but, but 72 are appointed. That's the first thing I wanted to notice. It says this, he sent them out two by two ahead of him to every town and place. So he sends them out in pairs. This, this is why I love Jesus. He knows how much of a weenie I am how much of a scaredy cat I am and how just like I can get a whole lot more done if my partner is with me, if my friend is with me. He knows that sort of that typically is the human condition. Ecclesiastes 4.9 says two are better than one. For if one falls, he has someone to help him up. That's true in life, it's true of everything, right? But it's especially true in the kind of kingdom ministry that God has called us to do. It is so much easier with you guys. Doing ministry is so much easier with you guys. Doing worship is so much easier with a team. So Jesus knows that we are wired for partnership. We are wired for community. He knows that the, the impact of the kingdom is gonna be so much greater whenever you've got somebody together. So I love that. I love what Jesus does. He's got these, he's got these ones in front. Of him. We don't even know their names. That's the beauty of this. We, have, we don't even know their names. Men and women. He just calls them all in. He says, okay, y'all pair up. Reminds me of, reminds me of elementary school. You know, remember we had to pair up for games? I hated that. I'm an introvert, right? So like the last thing I want to be is assertive. And I wasn't the cool kid. So it was like, I was usually, I would usually wait and find the other non-cool kid and we would pair up together. It's like, all right, who are the other losers here? Come on, <laughs> my friend, right? I don't think Jesus did that. Jesus had the perfect way. However he did it, he paired them up in twos and he gives them an assignment to go out into the places that he's about to go to. Um, so two by two or better in pairs. Keep that in mind. Um, the Bible also says this, he sent them... Um, sent them two by two ahead of him, ahead of Jesus, to every town and place where he was about to go. So what is 72 divided by two? 36. Now, I'm not a math guy, but it seems like Jesus had a pretty full itinerary. All right? Now, let's, let's take this out of the context of the ancient Near East, and let's put it in the context of Lexington, all right? And let's say that Jesus is here and he stands up and he says, guys, we've got, we've got a very busy season ahead. I've got speaking engagements in Hamburg. Who wants to go to Hamburg? You two, you two in the back. You, okay, you guys going to Hamburg. I've got speaking engagements in Lansdowne. Who's gonna go to Lansdowne? You two, okay. I've got speaking engagements in Georgetown. You guys are gonna go ahead to Georgetown. I got speaking engagements in, uh, in Richmond. Who's gonna, okay, you guys. And he does this 36 different towns and each of them sort of have their marching orders and they have their designated place where the Lord is sending them. But here's the cool thing. They're not just going to do it on their own. They are what's called forerunning. 
John the Baptist was a forerunner. He went ahead. He ran ahead of Jesus to prepare a way so that when Jesus comes, people are prepared for what he's about to do. And that's what, we're, that's what these ones are going to do now. They are forerunning. They're going into the town ahead of Jesus. But the cool thing is, is that Jesus is right behind them. So what does that mean for you and I? It means that anywhere God sends us, he already has a plan in place for his, the fullness of his presence to move in there. He's not sending us out there alone to be abandoned out there without any clue of what's going on. He's already says, you know what? I got my eye on that family out there at the park. I've got a plan to blow through their lives in an incredible way, but I need somebody to forerun for me and to go ahead for me. That's so cool, you guys. It makes it so much easier to know, listen, I'm not, it doesn't all hinge on me. This is God's battle plan. This is God's uh, campaign. It's his initiative. He just simply wants somebody to go ahead of him. I can do that. So it's important to, to just don't, don't miss that. He was about every, every town and place where he was about to go. So Jesus was busy. Whatever busyness that you think that you have in ministry, He's so much more at work. He hasn't stopped working. Anyway, okay, so that's the third thing I want you to, second thing. Um, look at verse two. He told them, man, this, this stirs up an emotional response inside of me. He tells them this. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. This is Jesus seeing this. Jesus sees things as they are. He sees into the spiritual realm. He knows what's happening in the world around him. He looks around in his, in his spirit. He can see that, the, that, the, that the, the condition of the hearts of men and women are primed for the gospel. They are full of brokenness and despair and hopelessness. And they're crying out. And Jesus says, that is a ripe harvest. And in his, in his heart, he can see that there's, the harvest is so great, there's cities everywhere. Jesus is, to, he's, he's going to go to 36 of them, but there's cities everywhere that he's not even going to get to. And he begins to think in his own mind, not even about Jerusalem and Judea, he begins to think about other parts of the world, he begins to think about Africa and Asia and Europe and places even in America where, where no one has been. And in his, in his mind, he says, listen, the harvest is so plentiful, but there's so few of us. I don't know what went down. I don't, I don't know how he arrived at 72. But I'm betting, I'm betting that he said, who wants to be involved in helping me minister? And 72 came forward. I'm betting he didn't limit it to 72. I can't see Jesus saying, I'm sorry, I've got my 72. The rest of you go home. Maybe God can use you another time. I don't know. The Bible doesn't say that. My gut says, though, he took everyone who was willing to go. What if he would have had 172? What if he would have had 250? He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are so few. He says, come on, disciples, pray to the Lord of the harvest. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. Ask the Father to send more workers into the field. So he, he commands them a couple things. He commands them to pray. 
ask, ask the Lord of the harvest to send them into the world, into the, into the field. And verse three, he commands them to go. That's our posture at King's Church. The church in the Middle Ages used the Latin term ora et labora, work and pray. We are called to do both. We are called as the church to be a house of prayer that intercedes to the Father for laborers into the field. We're also called to be laborers in the field. So he says, pray the Lord harvest, but also you're going to go. As you're going, ask the Lord for more. As you're ministering, ask the Lord to send more. As you're evangelizing, ask the Lord for more evangelizing. As you're healing, ask the Lord to raise up more healers. That's, that's, that's to be our posture. Um, okay, into verse 3 then he says this, I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves, and he begins to unpack some things about what that means. You see, he tells them not to take some stuff. Basically, he's saying, you're not going to be a threat this is not a hostile takeover of the kingdom of darkness. We are not raising up an army, at least a, a physical army. You're not going in there with all your guns blazing and all of your theology and all of your doctrine, you know, machine gunning everybody down. You're going in with a, with a, with a level of, of humility and gentleness and dare I even say sacrifice. He tells them some things not to take. Don't take this. Don't take that. Don't do this. Don't do that. In other words, you're going to have a posture of simplicity. You have one thing. You have one mission. And that's my mission. Verse 5 through 8 talks about our relationship to the world as wolves. Um, and he summarizes this in verse 16. I'll just read verse 16 to you. Um, he says this, whoever listens to you listens to me. Whoever rejects you, rejects me. He's saying, don't take it personally. When I send you out, don't take it personally. You're going to be rejected. In fact, um, he's got some strong words to say for those that reject. But he says here that, that whoever accepts you, accepts me. Whoever rejects you, rejects me. I'll get, I want to skip over and go to verse 10 through 15. This is one of those uncomfortable things that Jesus says, a hard word of Jesus. Guess what we get to read? The hard words of Jesus. We don't skip over them. Verse 10, but when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into his streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. The disciples are called to go and proclaim. Their job is not to convert. Their job is to proclaim. Their job is not to convince. Their job is to proclaim. But Jesus does have strong words for those who reject. That doesn't mean that we are to echo what he says in 13, 14, and 15, the woe to use, the woe to use. But these are real cities, Chorazin, Bethsaida. These are real cities that he likely went to and rejected his... Can you imagine rejecting Jesus? Can you imagine like hearing stories of the things he did? 
You know, this is not like some foreign person of far around. These are neighbors of Jesus. These are like cities that are just within a day's walk of Jesus. They would have heard. They know his family. They heard about the miracles that he did. Can you imagine, though, having such a cold, dead heart that you just say, Jesus, you are not welcome here. Go. And Jesus says, woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. This is not a heart of anger. He's not personally offended. He's heartbroken because of what they have rejected. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in these other two cities, they would have repented long ago. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the heavens? No, you will go down to the underworld. He's got some hard words to say. And how do we posture ourselves as a prophetic church? That means that we carry in tension both the love of God and the judgment of God. And we announce both the love of God and the judgment of God. We live in a culture that's very afraid of, of speaking any kind of words of judgment from the Lord. You know, there's a great threat to the, to, the, to, the, to the church called universalism, this idea that everybody eventually all will be saved and God will not judge any and there is no concept of hell whatsoever. Friends, it's not biblical. There, God is a judge. And he will judge with his wrath the wickedness of the world. So the message that we carry is very heavy. God loves, God forgives, the kingdom is near, but don't reject it because you're rejecting your only hope. Uh, I want to go back to verse 9. This is where I want to, I want to, I want to spend time. He, not, not spend time. Heal the sick who are there. So this is after they've gone into the city. They come into the city. They find a person of peace. A lot of missionaries do this in, like in Nepal. This is their, this is their custom. Whenever a, a single believer, a pastor is going to a new village that's not heard the gospel, they will do this very formula right here in Luke chapter 10. They will go in. They will find a person of peace. A person of peace is not a believer. It is a person of peace as somebody who is open and receptive to this new idea of the faith. In other words, they're, they're, they're relatively established in the community. They, they tend to be, you know, respected, um, well-known. Maybe they're a leader in the community, but they're also open and hospitable to the message that you have. That's a person of peace. So go in, find a person of peace, share with them their, you know, what you're doing, what you're about. If they bring you into their home, stay there. Don't go hopping around to whoever has the best meal. You know, oh, they got a bigger bedroom. They got better meal. I'm going to their house. Jesus says, don't do that. Wherever you go, stay there for a while, you know, and, 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 and take what they give you, serve what they give you. And then in verse 9, he says this, heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near. You guys, this is exactly what's happening around the world. I can't speak of any other country recently. I've been to Nepal. I can tell you about that. But I know from talking to other missionaries, this is the same thing that's happening in Africa, same thing that's happening in Asia, is that, is that a missionary will go in, find a person at peace, stay there, say, can I pray for the sick in your village? And they say, okay, that's, yeah, we've got plenty of sick. Come on. And I've heard this firsthand. They go in and they pray for the sick. The sick are supernaturally healed. All of a sudden, the hearts of the people are open now to what the Lord has. You know, what's your, who are you? How did you do this? Tell us about it. You know how easy it is to share the gospel when you've done that? It's like all you have to do is say, okay, God in heaven, he healed your friend. He is this, this, and this, and he wants you to do this, this, and this. And it's so easy. And entire villages are coming to the faith because of this formula right here. 
And this is what Jesus says. Go out, heal the sick who are there, and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. Come on. And in verse 9, we see this beautiful combination of the proclamation of the kingdom, the gospel, and the demonstration of its power. Y'all, we've got to have both of those. We've got to proclaim the gospel. And we've got to demonstrate its power. So verse 17, here's the cool thing. So they do this, they go out. And they return with joy. They're so excited about this. It's like, oh my goodness. And they said, Lord, they begin to give them all these reports about everything they did. Hey, hey, geez, you'll never believe what John did, what James and John, they, they saw this guy who couldn't see. They put their hands on him. They began to pray and his eyes came up and all, all the 72, are, they're giving a report like we're going to do over these next three weeks. They're so excited about that, you know? And one of them says, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. It's not, Lord, we're not just talking about praying for little headaches or, or you know, an ingrown toenail. God, we have power to drive out demonic forces from people. And the the, the disciples, they're just like losing their minds with joy about how exciting this is, which is exciting, right? I love it. I love power encounters where I see the power of God coming through. But Jesus gives a little bit of a correction here. It's important for us to pay attention to this. He says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Jesus is in this place. I believe he was in a place of intercession as these 12, as these 72 are going out. He's interceding. He's seeing in the spirit realm what is happening. And he says, as you're going out, this is what I'm seeing. I'm seeing a diminishment in the authority of darkness in this land because of what you're doing. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. In other words, Jesus says, listen, guys, you're only beginning to get a glimpse of the kind of authority that I've given you. This is nothing. I've given you so much authority that you're not, you can't even begin to imagine the stuff that you're going to do. But, but hold on a second. Don't let what you're doing be the source of your joy. Don't rejoice that the spirits are subject to you. Yeah, I know, guys. I know it's really cool. I do. I know. I know there's a satisfaction in doing kingdom things and seeing, seeing people laying hands. Guys, I got to tell you, I love it. There's nothing more that I love than praying for someone and seeing a visible release of God's healing power upon their life. And it's so easy for that to become our identity. You know, to say, oh, look how awesome I am. I've got an anointing for healing. I had an impartation from Randy Clark or Robbie Dawkins or Bill, you know, Bill Johnson, whoever else. Look at me. I can lay hands on people and they'll fall over. I'm writing books. I'm doing conferences. It'd be so easy for that to become our identity. And Jesus gives this corrective word that says, no, 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 no. Don't, 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 don't let your joy come from what you do. Do. 
You need to rejoice because your name is in that book. I got a book up there. You know whose name is in that book? All my kids. And it's not in the order of greatest to least. I don't have asterisks next to those in the book that says, oh, he was a super preacher. He had a mega church. He was a missionary. Heidi Baker does not have all capital letters, Heidi Baker. Her name is written up there in blood. Brad Easley's name is written up there in blood. Megan Easley's name is written up there in blood. Jesus, that's the source of your joy right there. That you're my son, that you're my daughter. And look at verse 21. At that time, Jesus, full of joy <laughs> through the Holy Spirit. There's not many times where the Bible describes Jesus as being full of joy, but this is one of them. Why is he full of joy? Because he's seeing his sons and daughters living out their kingdom identity. And it fills Jesus with such tremendous joy to see that. I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children, you little children, you 72 little children, simple-minded, weak little children. You have all of the treasure and the wonder and the wisdom of the ages. So this is what we get to do. We get to be Luke 10 kind of Christians. We get to do it. We don't have to do it. We get to do it. Not because we're big, not because we're special, because we are obedient. And our identity is not in ministry success, but in kingdom sonship. Here's the cool thing, though, is that the more that we embrace kingdom sonship, sons and daughters of God, as our identity, the more ministry flows out of that. If you get that the other way around, you're going to burn out. If you get ministry first, identity second, you're going to burn out. And then you won't have either one of them. Your ministry will falter, and then you're going to wonder why you're, what's wrong with your identity because your ministry is not thriving. So you're going to abandon both of those. But if you get identity first, grounded in that, ministry is going to flow out of that naturally. So we get to share. The kingdom of God is coming here. Jackie, you ready? All right. She's going to tell us about some things that we are going to do in the next several weeks. We get to do. Y'all get to do. Amen. All right, my friend. I'm so excited about this. I've been wanting to do it for a long time. So when Brad suggested it, I was like, yes. Do you want to lead it up? Sure. <laughs> I guess so. Um, so I thought I would just share a little bit of when I've done this in the past. Um, we I can't even remember what it was called, but... My son, who's almost 18, was about 10 or 11 back then, and we would come together at church on Tuesday nights and worship, and then we would pray and ask God where he wanted to send us. And one night, well, more than one, but this particular night I remember, we followed the treasure hunt model, if you've ever heard of that book. And we asked God to give us a picture of where he wanted us to go and who we were looking for and what he wanted us to tell him. 
And so Billy was really eager to have an encounter with God or to, to feel him, see him work tangibly in his life and have his own story. And we all prayed and wrote stuff down. And you should have seen the list. Like, it was <laughs> so random. But he got Christmas tree, newspaper, blue, um, and maybe one other, I can't remember what other thing it was, but so we we're like, well, what are we going to do with this? <laughs> and there, say he got it. Tell us what that means. Like, just an impression. Okay. Okay. An impression in your mind. And you don't think about it too hard. You just, whatever comes to mind, you just write it down. And we were like, well, we, I guess, let's think about this. Joseph Beth has a big old Christmas tree out front. They have newspapers, so let's just go there. And on the way in to Joseph Beth, we passed a woman that we knew, we, we knew already, and she, I knew she'd been struggling with some, well, actually, no, I didn't know she'd been struggling, but I told her what we were doing, asked if there was anything we could pray for, and she said, yes, my dad is in the hospital. So we were able to bless her on our way to the periodical section. <laughs> we found the magazine rack. Oh, Ivy was also on the list. We found the magazines and newspapers, and there's a woman sitting in a blue chair, and right behind her, there's Ivy in a planter, and she's reading a, a newspaper. We're like, oh, well, this is really cool. So we were able to go up to her and say, we're on a treasure hunt for the Lord, and he's led us to you. And we just, he had given us something to pray for and blessed her, and she was, it was really sweet for all, all of us involved. And when we went out in those times, we would pair up into groups of three or four, maybe even five, and get people that were commissioned to go to the same place. Like if people were supposed to go to the hospital, they would ride in the car together, and then they would pair off in groups of two. So that's kind of the way I see this going this, the next three weeks. We'll meet here, maybe in this room. We'll have some worship, kind of clear out the funk of the week. And then we'll just pray and ask God to what he wants us to do, where he wants to send us, and we'll pair, maybe we'll partner up before. I'm not real sure. I'm still trying to figure out if we partner up before we pray or partner up afterward based on what he tells us, and then go. So 6 to 6.30 will be that part. 6.30 to 7.30 will be out there doing the work, and then we'll come back for 30 minutes to kind of share testimonies and, and learn. But I just also wanted to share some encouragement from our Knowing Rediscovered our last week. <laughs> it was kind of fun the way it ended. The enemy only builds fear where he doesn't want you to go. So if you're feeling scared about doing this, do it anyway. Um, our goal, oh, this is really hard. Eh, I'm not even going to share that because <laughs> it's probably too, too much. I don't think we're going to have to face death when we're doing this. But our goal in life as Christians is to see death and run toward it rather than running away. And we see death as resurrection because that's, that's what he has for us. So thank you. I hope to see you all on Wednesday. I'm really excited about it. Okay, so um, the next three Wednesdays, yeah, and, and if, if this isn't your thing... Whew, sorry, because this is who we are, and it's what we're going to do. We're going to be doing it a lot from here on out, you know. Um, but let, let me kind of give you a little bit of, of just some personal reflections on this. One, it's easier than you think. Two, God honors faith. Three, no one bats a thousand. It's okay to take a risk. 
It's okay to be wrong. Four, we're not going to send you out with somebody who's not done it before. So if you're with a group of two or three, you will be with someone who has done this. You can follow their lead. You can even just kind of go and, 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 and watch and listen. If, you, if The first week, if you're not comfortable even saying anything, it's okay. It really is okay. Um, 5B, C, whatever my letter is now. Um, we're following the 2 Corinthians 14 model that talks about the gift of prophecy used to encourage, to edify, to build up, to encourage. So that's what we're doing. We're not, we're not taking hard words to people. We're not going after them saying, God told me that, you know, you're such and such person in your life is going to die of cancer. That's not, that's not the, the, the call that God's given us for this exercise. You know, we're giving, we're giving prophetic words to people to encourage them about the Lord's, the, the, the Lord's love for them. Um, and just to invite them into the kingdom if the Lord opens that. So um, some of the things that we're going to, so when, as Jackie said, we'll come on Wednesday. We'll have a time of just praying and listening. We'll have some cards. We're going to write down some things that we hear. Um, I, I, I'd hope to have a chance to do that this morning, but it's okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just urge you to come back on Wednesday because then we'll do some time of practicing this with one another. What is the Lord saying, you know, What's the Lord saying to you for this, for this person in front of you? We'll have a little bit of time to practice that for a few minutes on Wednesday. So if you're not, so that way it's, we're not throwing you in. And we're just listening for things, listening for phrases, words, um, you know, conditions, and maybe the Lord wants to heal. Um, I, when I was in Nepal, and I, I, we were going to church service, and I was praying on that particular morning before, um, and I just had an prayer. I was asked, Lord, what do you, who do you want to minister to? Now, I'll be honest with you, I don't have a super strong gift of words of knowledge. You know, like it's sometimes it's a struggle for me to get it. Like I'll get one, and I'll know that's clearly not, you know, I can tell in my own heart that was pizza from last night. It wasn't the Lord. But in this one, I felt like, okay, there's a good chance it's the Lord. And it was about a lady with a white head covering on. And I said, Lord, what do you want to say? And I just heard immediate things about, you know, her being a daughter and the Lord's favor upon her. And I wrote all these things down. I said, well, okay, so if I see a lady with a white head covering, that'll be confirmation. It's easy. That's what makes this so easy. Sometimes the Lord gives us clues that make it really easy. That's why it's called treasure hunting. The Lord gives us clues to go look for. So I went on this Sunday morning, and um, in Nepal, you don't see a lot of head coverings like that. Um, and I saw a few, but then at the end, this old woman came in with a white head covering on just like that. I said, ah. So I had a chance to go up and minister to her and just release this word over her and um, sometimes it's as simple as that. Sometimes we have words for people and they don't, they don't land and that's okay. You know, we try and we learn by doing it. We learn by trying. We get, you know, we, we cultivate the gift. You know, we're not born batting a thousand. It's like we just have to cultivate this gift and learn to do that. So um, I just want to encourage us to, uh, for the next three weeks, come on Wednesday because we're going to do this. If you've not done it before, step out. Let's try it together. I want us, this is not just for the leadership. It's not just, for, I want King's Church. I want this to be something that we just step in and faith and do. You're going to be surprised at what God does through you. What God does through little old you. God, you'll be surprised at the things that you hear for people. You'll be surprised at that. And, and, and so don't, don't, don't let the enemy steal this opportunity for us to do that. So you got something else to share? Okay. I want to invite our musicians coming up though. We're going to minister with, we're going to um, kind of wrap up here with a, with a, with a, 
worship song. If we can pray for any of us during our worship time, if we can pray for you, if you would like, you know, just to get a heads up on this and say, Brad, I'd love in the next four days before Wednesday, even to start doing this, we'll pray for you. I will. I'll, Meg and I or Chuck, any of us will just pray, lay, lay hands in you, just ask the Lord for just to, just to give you um, a greater measure of this. Um, all right. You ready? Got something? All right. So, you know, it's interesting. Um, over the last, I don't know, Brad, would you say this has been a year? Your Bible's doing what my Bible's doing. It's my favorite Bible. I take it to camp in the summers and it's disintegrating. Um, the camp is in 500 degrees Georgia heat. So it's like done a number to the cover. Um, but for about a year or so, when Brad and I would begin to pray or to prep for um, teaching and just sharing things that are on our heart, he sort of stepped us into a position of, of uh, well, let me just let you trust me. <laughs> on that. Instead of doing the go to seminary and you learn to have like, here's your points and here's your, your, your illustrations and here's your, you know, color coding. He was like, all right, we're going to throw this out. You know, you know how to do this, but I want you to walk in trust. And so I feel like a lot of this is learning to trust each other, learning to trust. And that's part of, if you trust someone deeply and you've committed to that person deeply, the other name of that is family, right? Like that's part of it. And, and I was telling a new friend of mine this morning, and I've used this illustration fairly often, but I don't think I use it here often. When I'm out in Lexington and I'm talking to other people who are pastors or other people, I will often say that we are about, excuse me for this, but I don't know how to hold this and do this, but we are about the body of Christ, not about building our own thing. And that's really what we want King's Church to be about. It's the body of Christ, not our own thing. So when we're out talking to people and sharing with people, often it's like, let's just get excited about the body of Christ. Whether people are connected in a church or not, this is not something that's like a, a you know, oh, we're going to like force people into our pews. This is about walking out in trust and in doing that. And so um, I don't know how long ago, about maybe a month ago at this point, Brad had, we've printed these little cards. They're in the back if you guys need some more. We're talking about like, I guess I would call it invite crazy of just inviting people to church. I think that there's some st statistics out there, if I can say the word, from Barna and other researches that say that most people, if invited to a church, would attend a church or would visit a church. Most people. Like the reason why very many people, when they're asked just out on the street, well, why don't you go anywhere? Well, nobody's invited me. Ugh. I mean, that hurts my heart. It should hurt all of our hearts. So there's these little cards that are out there. There's some up here in a basket that also has a little piece of paper here. And this is just for us to get in our car, on a mirror, whatever. And it says, believing that I am called to be a great commission Christian, I commit to, one, confront my own barriers to evangel evangelism. Thank you. Whew, dyslexia is getting me this morning. Confront my own barriers. Two, connect with God's heart for the world. And three, choose to become more equipped. And four, commit to engage with the unsaved. Those of you that took this a number of weeks ago, this is part of what we're talking about here is Wednesday night. It's part of being a great commission Christian, of being willing to go out to invite people. And I was excited because we actually have a, a, a friend with us visiting this morning that met Chuck in Kansas City 
in our hotel while we were there at the Sind, and they're from Kentucky as well, and then is visiting us with this, this with visiting with us this morning, and and not from our congregation. She has a home. She has a place. But there's something to be said about inviting people to connect the body of Christ in with one another, which is one of the reasons I love the Wellspring prayer because it's pastors, it's people from all over. I see y'all, I'll get it. And, and, and so we're coming together to do that. So I'm excited about just where the Lord's taking us. One of the things the Lord shared with me when I was mowing was like, Meg, you know, we've had people who have transferred churches just because they were in between churches. 2020 was a great shakeup of all the churches. So there were people that didn't have a church to go to for a season, and so they, they were looking for a church, and they transferred in. But one of the things the Lord said to me was, like, one of the ways King's Church is going to grow is by going out into the streets and loving on the least of these, looking for the broken and giving vision again to those people. So, all right, come on up. So I just want to say and encourage everybody. It's like if you think about, because we're all adults, if we, if you know, or we're kids. But anyway, if you close your eyes and think about something that your parents told you as a child, right? And then when you became an adult and a parent, it's like a re- revelation happened. Like, oh my God, I get it now. So when Brad said that. You know, sometimes we don't bat a thousand. We're planting seeds. And that revelation in that person might not be right at that second because of life, you know, or whatever. They can't see that word. But when it's time for them to get it, that revelation hits them. Like, oh, my God, I know what he's talking about. So, you know, like, that's what I look at. Like, when I preach to people at the gym or wherever I'm going and I tell them my testimony, they might not get it. They might not, they're like, oh yeah, but guess what? I planted a seed and that seed, God's word never comes back void. So that's when, that's when I, when I'm talking to people on the street, you know, I, the first thing that I do is I'm like, hey, I'm a Christian. Let me tell you what he did in my life. That's why we named our business Turn It Around because God turned my life around and our lives as a family and we're turning it around. So I just wanted to encourage you know, if you feel like that you don't have that, you know, like street ministry stuff, like it, you do, you know, it's just how you carry yourself. And it's just being encouraging and being a, a child of God and just remem- remembering like, you know, just because you don't see a leg grow. Like I would love to see an amputee's leg just go, beep, you know, like I would love to see that. I haven't yet, yet is the key word. But anyway, I just want to encourage you. I promise I won't be forever, but I just had to say this. I uh, I was like a fish out of water going to these. Honestly, I, I'm like one-on-one with everybody. I'm fine. But you get out there, I'm just like, I'm in a different game. So I went out. I went out. Uh, this was years ago when we did this at our church. There was three different guys I went with, and they were all fired up to do the hospital. This was like almost like their career, right? They, it wasn't their career, but they, this was something that they, they just they loved doing. And I was with them. I was like, oh, my gosh. But I'm like, who better to be with, right? Because some of their stuff is going to 
you know, when you have a person down front that's just waving their hands and getting with it, I think I could stand up and sway a little bit more, you know? There's like a freedom that they give, right? So when you're with people that are just confident and excited about it, so if you find yourself, I don't want to come Wednesday because that's not my thing, come Wednesday and find the person that's the most excited to go out and you go with them. You, you don't have to say a word. So we're going to assign you a Sasha on Wednesday. You don't have to say a word. Just be alongside. And next thing you know, a couple weeks later, you'll be the one leading. So uh, short and quick brief. So this time we went to the hospital at UK and I'm and they're running around, they're laying, they're all like scattering around, and I'm just like, I don't know what to do. I'm I'm just going back kind of the corner, and I'm sitting there and I'm talking to God. I'm like, God, what? Encourage me, God. I'm just I'm putting it out there. Encourage me. I want to be like that. I want to have the confidence. So I'm sitting there and just kind of right by the vending machine, and my name's Bill Powell, of course. And then we're in the emergency room waiting room, and they're all just scattered. And a nurse comes out and says, Powell. You're the next up, Powell. And I'm like, what? Right? So I realized that us praying for people, he's going to do it work in us too, not just in the people we pray for. So. Was it Lisa Turkers that said, feel the fear and do it anyway? I think, right? Right? That's what that reminded me of when you said, when you feel the fear, do it anyway. Sorry, Mike. Go ahead. I just had to interject. Okay, um, so before I came to a spirit-filled church, I was in a denomination where we did our weekly soul winning, but man, it was, it was scary, fearful, like you're talking about, a lot more scary than what you're talking about here, because door-to-door is not easy, <laughs> and it's fearful, you're knocking at people's homes, and, um, but you did it out of your duty, you know, and, um, if you didn't go, you weren't right with the Lord. You had to do your weekly soul winning. And so um, so this is a lot easier. And um, again, when you're filled with the Spirit, it takes a lot of the fear out there anyway. If you don't have, if you don't, if you're not filled with the Spirit trying to do this, it makes it so hard. Um, but anyway, what I wanted to say is you're calling this thing tre- treasure hunting. And uh, probably about a year and a half ago, I was at Walmart. And what I like to do to, um, when I'm waiting in line, I love finding out what people's names mean because it's a good conversation starter because a lot of people as adults don't even know what their name means, which is part of our identity, okay? And so um, I was at Walmart one day and I was waiting in line. There's a Hispanic lady. There's a couple people in front of me. I saw her name tag. It was DeMonte. And I didn't know, I don't know Spanish. So I'm like, oh, well, I'll just ask her. So when I got up there, I said, uh, how do you say your name? She said, Demonte. And I said, do you know what it means? She said, yes, diamond. And um, I said, oh, well, that's neat. And then she says, and I have two sisters named Jade and Pearl. <laughs> so I thought that was cool. So I said, well, uh, your mom had a lot of gems in her family, didn't she? She said, yeah. But um, I just want to share that because it just came to my mind. You're talking about treasure. And um, when people get saved and come to the kingdom... God looks at us as um, great gems, you know, and jewels, his jewels. And he's coming to gather his jewels. So um, I just thought that was kind of a neat thing he brought back to my memory. Um, You know, uh, I met uh, Diamond and she told me about her sisters, Jade and Pearl. And, um, but anyway, happy treasure hunting. (laughs) Anybody else? (laughs) 
Actually, I got one. Oh, no. You can share. Okay, are you sure? Okay. So, when I went to ministry school for about three months, we did a treasure hunt. Exactly like what Jackie's talking about. We got together and we prayed and we asked the Holy Spirit to give us a picture. And I was very green to this. Didn't really understand the concept, you know. But God showed me a picture of a very beautiful girl in a white lacy dress, kind of like she was holding the dress out and just kind of dancing. And she had like long brown hair. And so I shared with the group and they were like, all right, you've got your person. Let's go. I was like, all right. So we're going out and we're just walking down the street and we're talking and I'm looking and I'm not seeing this person anywhere because what I was looking for was the picture I saw in my mind, thinking that's what the girl was going to look like. So I just want to encourage you that. Well, let me finish my story, then I'll encourage you. After. <laughs> so we're going down the road, and, and one of the girls in my group, she was like, hey, there's a girl sitting on that bench. She has a lacy white dress on, and she's got brown hair. She was like, I think that's your girl. And I was looking at her, and she was, she was um, a, definitely like different body type. She kind of had tattoos and all this stuff on, and I was like, but that don't look like the girl in my vision, like the, the picture. And she said, she quickly said, what if that's the way God sees her? And I was like, that's a go. good point. I was like, I didn't think about that. And she was like, you need to go talk to her. And I was like, okay. So I'm like feeling the fear and doing it anyway, right? So I walk up and I'm like, hey, <laughs> you know, like trying to be all nice and trying to be all sweet and trying to be like not timid. I was like, I'm with a ministry school and I believe God showed me you to come find you and talk to you. And she goes, oh, I'm an atheist. And I was like, okay. So in my mind, I'm, <laughs> I've never done this before. And to come across an atheist and have that wall shot straight up, I was like, okay. I was like, well, and then I just started sharing how much God loves her and stuff like that. And then I said, uh, can I pray for you? And I think her response was no, but thank you. You know, and I was like, that's okay. God still loves you. And then there was that seed was planted, right? So I was just encouraging you guys, when you get these pictures in your mind, the person may not look like what you saw but God could be giving you exactly how he sees that person. So 